The activist psychiatrist R.D. Lang has this to say about the potentially coercive power invested in psychiatrists by society. We should not blame psychiatrists because we give them such depth of power, especially when, to be exercised as expected, it must be exercised routinely. I guess we shouldn't blame psychiatric nurses either. When I first started working as an attending psychiatrist at PES, I discovered that my most complicated workplace relationships were with many of the experienced nurses who worked there. They were the power players, and my education began even before I had worked a shift. Throughout this book, it may seem as if psychiatric nurses and emergency psychiatrists are mentioned interchangeably, and that is no coincidence. In the psychiatric emergency setting, nurses and doctors work very closely side by side with each other. There is an egalitarian feel to the place. While it is the physician who has the final say and ultimate responsibility from a practical and a medical-legal perspective, it is a foolish emergency psychiatrist who does not collaborate with his or her knowledgeable and experienced psychiatric nurse colleagues in making clinical decisions. I had my reasons for choosing to work in psych emergency, some of them logical, others psychological, and many still to be discovered. My first paying gig was low stress, a doctor's staff meeting convened by PES's medical director. Though he had hired me, the medical director would never be my role model. The son of a diplomat, he carried himself stiffly, a jacket-and-tie kind of guy, the product of boarding schools. He did not manifest the roll-up-your-sleeve style that I imagined an effective emergency psychiatrist should possess. My first night at work is an unseasonably warm evening in the summer of 1992. The customary layer of fog has not yet descended on the city. The psych emergency room is stuffy, the ventilation poor, the ceiling's air vents clogged with lint and dust. A faint whiff of fresh feces and old urine, ineffectively masked by a cloying cinnamon-scented spray, hangs about the place. It is then that I understand why state hospital psychiatrists smoke cigarettes on the job to cut the stench. Though I had worked there for a week as a fourth-year resident just a few months earlier, this is my initial performance as an authority figure in psych emergency. At this point, I haven't worked a shift yet. I had just returned, lean and refreshed, from a month's holiday spent traveling with my wife in a 1984 Volkswagen camper van through the Pacific Northwest in the Rockies. I had enjoyed an invigorating taste of freedom on this trip, and now I was beginning my career on a lockdown. Though I was getting paid for my time and had chosen this vocational path, I was still working in a place for which a key was required to get out. Uncharacteristically, I arrive about ten minutes early. Two nurses, a man and a woman, sit behind the triage desk, a crescent-shaped structure about four feet high and twelve feet long, facing four seclusion rooms, each with a heavy metal locking door and each containing a steel bed equipped with four leather belt restraints. These days, the belts are made of washable polyester and Velcro, one per extremity. 
The lights are dimmed. 